0: This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen
1: Black. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Major General Dusty Schultz. Major General Schultz currently serves as Director of Strategic Operations in the Army. Previously, she was Deputy Chief of Staff at the Office of the Chief of Staff of the Army Reserve. Prior to that, she was Deputy Chief of Staff of the Army Reserve Command and Commander of the 1st Mission Support Command at Fort Buchanan, Puerto Rico, where she led the Army Reserve response to Hurricane Maria and Hurricane Irma. And this is very significant because this this was the first Mission Support Command that received the Superior Unit Award during her tenure. Uh, Major General Schultz has numerous awards to include the Distinguished Service Medal, the Legion of Merit, the Bronze Star, the Defense Meritorious Merit. Their list goes on and on. So first off, Major General Schultz, uh, it's an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us.
0: Uh, thank you so much Eileen it's really an honor to be here with you and to to spend this time and have this conversation
1: so is it okay if I I, I know your staff calls you dusty can I call
0: you dusty oh absolutely I have an expectation that you call me dusty I I, I don't
1: uh, go by any pretenses whatsoever so dusty can you describe your leadership style um,
0: yes uh, although I, I it's hard because we have a lot of um, canned visions of what a leadership style is, and I know a lot of phenomenal business schools have studied this and broken it down, and so whether it's a transformational leadership style or servant leadership style, I would tell you that um, I try and embrace um, empowering the team that I work with to give them guidance, uh, strategic leadership and oversight, but at the same token, investing in them to empower them to harness their own superpowers and to really live and bring out the best vision of where we're going. And so I I do try and be um, a bit of a visionary, but at the same token, um, I pause and recognize that we have to meet people where they are and we have to build people where they are and we move at the speed of trust. So I think... Uh, in many ways, I bring a bit of an amalgamation of various leadership styles, and try and um, meet the occasion and support
1: uh, my team members uh, where they are at at that very moment. So, do you approach your your uh, leadership style depending upon the situation or audience? I mean, you know, we we just faced some pretty uh, profound events uh, across our nation. Uh, especially the, the role that the Reserve played on January 6th? Do you, do you approach things differently when you're facing these big moments?
0: Absolutely. But yes and no. I mean, so first and foremost, as a leader, um, So and, it, and maybe I'll tell a little bit of a story here. I don't, I don't come from a military family. Uh, I come from a family of academics. My, my father was an antiquarian bookseller. And so I I come from California, and uh, my background is a little bit distinct than uh, what someone might think of as a military leader. That being said, 35 years of service has led me to understand that I believe in the Army values, and I raised my right hand to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And what I, I want first and foremost in any position that I go forward in is I'm really trying to build that cohesive team. I'm trying to build a common operating picture, and I'm trying to help my team members and the, the, the organizations that I'm working with, because you've got to think, we go beyond just leading um, directly in the military. We, we lead in whole of government. We lead, whether it's our example that we demonstrate to our families, or the example when, you know, in Hurricanes Irma and Maria, You know, I was able to go in and work with the interagency and work with Pima and work with um, isolated inner um, uh, mountain communities uh, that had leaders and individuals uh, where we had to go in and we have to, we have to be clear going forward. We have to set expectations. We have to have, you know, a purpose, those key tasks in the end states. We've got to have that vision. uh, And then we have to support. People having disciplined initiative and assuming some prudent risk uh, for us to go forward, and then ideally codifying that in a process. But um, you've got, we also as leaders have to appreciate and recognize that business today um, is really transforming. It's transforming how not only they manage things, but how leaders go forward. And leaders have to first come forward uh, with a sense of humility, but at the same token, Um, we have to be strong. Humbleness does not, you know, sacrifice the ability to be direct and have, you know, a fierce vision and fierce conversations. Does that make sense?
1: It certainly does. You know, as, as a woman leader, sometimes people confuse, you know, empathy or compassion or respect for weakness. Have you found that being a woman leader in a male domination si- situations like you lead every day that you've had to approach things a little bit differently?
0: Oh absolutely. Uh, I, I you know we look at our military leaders and we think of presence and so I'm not six feet tall and I don't walk in the room like a, a you know quarterback or a football player. I do think I'm fit, but uh, I will tell you that when I walk into a room, I have to understand people and establish trust and be direct with my words on influencing. And what I have found as a, as a woman leader is uh, the, I, while I can be passionate about a subject, um, I am not afforded, n- nor do we really aff- afford m- many of our leaders the ability to be overly emotional about things. And so I have to separate that, and I have to be very clear with with the strategy that that we are moving towards in the resources. And for me, um, what I have found to be the most successful way is to be transparent, is to really make sure that I am sharing with the community and the various stakeholders what I'm doing and why. Because as We give our soldiers and we give our teams purpose. They will amaze you every time with what they can do with your vision. They will make it better than you dreamed of.
1: Dusty, any leaders come to mind um, from your past that provided you important lessons or uh, maybe even an event that taught you important lessons that you wish all leaders could learn as they progress through their career?
0: So I, I have had a, a lot of different leaders and friends in my life. Um, one of one of my friends who has uh, since passed on, Gary Johnston. Uh, he he looked at me when I was a young, um, I think it was major, and he looked at me and he said, "You know, Dusty, we move at the speed of trust," and that has really stuck with me. Uh, and so I had that. Uh, from him, and then I had uh, my first mentor, uh, Major General Leslie Purser, uh, who I had reached out to and I said, "Ma'am, I just found out about this thing called mentorship. I was wondering if you'd spend some time. These are my 50 questions. Um, that's one way to do mentorship. Uh, and she was gracious. But uh, she she helps me understand as a leader, I needed to meet myself and my formation where I was and see deep and far to where we needed to go to. And what do I mean by that is sometimes as leaders, we're so anxious for the future that we're not acting and doing in the now. And you have to balance it. And she encouraged me to find balance, whether it be in my military life or even in my civilian life, uh, in my family life, is to how do you have that balance and encourage? And be that example that really exhibits you are going to be um, even when no one is watching the same person that you you lead as um, and that's that's to me the best of leadership is the leader who I know behind closed doors that is the same person who I'm dealing with that if the doors and the windows are wide open
1: What obstacles and challenges did you encounter on a personal level that you had to overcome in order to become an effective leader? You mentioned you came from a totally different background than a military background. You came from California, your parents were academics. Was that a big transition or or formation from a form of change that you had to do to be the leader you are today?
0: Absolutely. So, I mean my story goes a little bit further back than that. Um, so at seven years old, I still wasn't speaking in coherent sentences. And I was being sent to a special reading class and only to fi- find out that I was mildly dyslexic when I was uh, and it got a lot of attention. And my, my parents taught me how to, to really work hard, uh, that I could do things that I had a mind. Uh, but I would also have to work hard at things. And my mother really encouraged me that to whom um, sometimes people have challenges, they have, uh, they're have they often twice, twice gifted. Um, and so I, I really uh, appreciated and hung on that. And then when I was, unfortunately, when I was 13, my mother passed away. And so uh, I, and my parents had been divorced, so I uh, realized that I needed some, discipline, and I had put in an application and got a scholarship, and I'm sure that the nuns gave me the scholarship because uh, my English was so poor and so broken uh, that I got a scholarship to go to an all-girls private Catholic boarding school in Northern California. Um, there I met a lot of young ladies who were from foreign countries learning a second language, and I realized they had a gift in life. To is to be learning another culture beyond their own. Uh, so I actually applied and received another scholarship to go study abroad and uh, live in Spain for a year and where I learned uh, Spanish. Uh, and you know I often tell people that Spanish is the language of my soul because uh, I think uh, something clicked that allowed me to link uh, my thoughts and my feelings, Uh, in a very specific way in a language, and and that really, I found, uh, was manifested in the Spanish language, and so I felt wonderfully fortunate to that. Um, And so when I came back from Spain, I realized that uh, the United States is an incredible country that has given so much to so many people and wants to represent the best, it wants to really represents life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And what better way than to serve one's country? And so that's when um, I decided that I was going to put in an application uh, to go uh, actually to the Naval Academy at that time, it was my thought, and my father came back and said, sweetheart, I, I love you, this is a crazy idea, why don't you just marry an officer? That made me wonderfully mad And like a good rebellious daughter, uh, I decided that uh, I was gonna do this, but maybe I was gonna do it a different way. And so that's when I went off to, um, I was actually offered a a scholarship to go to New Mexico Military Institute and get an early commission. And I thought that that would be a good way to serve my country uh, and help the rest of the world be a better place, but maybe uh, give me a little bit more flexibility uh, with where I wanted uh, to go with life because I knew nothing about the military. Uh, so hopefully that kind of highlights a little bit of my quirky story and and background, but I just I feel very uh, fortunate and blessed uh, to be able to to serve and um, help others live their dreams and achieve uh, what's the realm of possible of, you know, a free world where we're helping everyone flourish. Um, you know, my husband sometimes uh, tags me uh, with the nickname of Puppies and Rainbows. Um, he calls me PAR for short sometimes. Uh, and, and I will tell you that I, I am a pragmatic optimist. I'm not just a full optimist. I'm, I'm pragmatic. I understand that we, we have a lot of work to do. But that being said, um, in my lifetime and in my career of over 30 years, Um, I've seen a lot of progress made we talked about me being uh, a woman in the military when I first came in um, It it wasn't common to see women across the force and then some 20 years later. I was fortunate enough to take a intelligence battalion to Iraq with one-third of the formation of being women that were helping to shape the theaters intelligence picture and to provide best options to leaders to go forward. So I, I, I just, I really feel honored. Uh, and while I've had a lot of different challenges, um, I, I'm fortunate enough that each challenge has just made me better um, and allowed me to to just continue to serve with some of America's greatest heroes.
1: I'm speaking with Major General Dusty Schultz. Director of Strategic Operations in the Army. After the break, we'll discuss developing your own authentic leadership style. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Eileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Eileen Black, and today I'm talking with Major General Dusty Schultz, Director of Strategic Operations, U.S. Army. Uh, Dusty, in the last segment, we talked about leadership style. We talked about overcoming some pretty big personal obstacles that you had. I, you, you didn't speak full sentences until you were seven years old. Was there a point where you found your authentic leadership style, where you found comfortable to be who you are?
0: That's a great point, Aileen. Uh, and I, and I think yes. Uh, I think for me, a transitional moment was I I went as a young major to a course uh, called Command and General Staff College. And in Command and General Staff College, they're really teasing out uh, for you to be a field grade officer. And we often call them iron majors. Uh, I I was fortunate enough in that course uh, to be with uh, classmates from throughout the hemisphere, throughout Latin America. The course for me was actually um, in Spanish. And so, while I'm fluent in Spanish, it's not my native language, and I was still working pretty hard. And I was getting up at 3.30 in the morning and studying uh, to make sure that I was, you know, my papers were perfect and my presentations were perfect, because everything was uh, done in Spanish. And my husband uh, looked at me at one point, and he said, sweetheart, I love you, and I'm really proud that you're working hard. but but what what happens at the end of this? And I said, What do you mean what what happens? He said, Well, I just I want to understand your intent here. What what do you want at the end of this? And I said, Well, I I want to graduate. He goes, Okay, but but what do you get at the end of this? And I said, Well, I get a diploma. He said, Okay, so what do you want at the end of this? And I felt like we were doing circles here, and and I said, Well, yeah, I get a diploma, but but I want to be known as the best team member whether I'm in charge or working alongside my peers, I wanna be known as the person you can count on no matter what. That I'm gonna be the battle, I I wanna live that and have that be who I am through and through. And for me, that was a huge leadership moment. Um, It it allowed me to really understand, to be something bigger than myself. um, I didn't have to be in the limelight. I didn't have to always be the one in charge. And as a leader, sometimes you are in the front and you better be able to make the decision there. And sometimes you're you're a part of the team and you're not the quarterback. And so how do you listen to the quarterback and support the quarterback and be the best team member that that quarterback knows when they call on you to be on that spot on the field that you need to be on, you're gonna be there. And so I would tell you probably as a major that that was pivotal for me. Um, and then I, I was fortunate enough to go on um, from that course to go be an executive officer, which is one of the most unglorious jobs out there um, in, a, in a battalion because the executive officer, uh, the joke is that they get to go do everything the commander doesn't wanna do. They keep the staff together. They're all about making sure that "Quote unquote, the trains run on time. That there is efficiencies in the organization. Everybody is empowered to do what they need to do. Um, but that once again helped me um, stay humble and recognize, you know, how do I help others? So when I went on to eventually be a battalion commander, that, that led a formation uh, in Iraq, and you know, I we had 46 teams at 23 different locations." And it was really empowering uh, to be able to know that, yes, I'm the leader, but at the same token, for my team to know that I understood and felt their challenges and valued them in their position because I'd been in their position. And I I think that's really key for leaders uh, to kind of represent a, a genuine capability of not being afraid of being in charge, but at the same token, not needing the limelight Either and there, there's a balance there. I I also think that it's it's a huge uh, leadership moment when you can turn at the table and have one of your subordinates um, brief, and it might not be perfect, but they needed that opportunity, and that's going to help them grow.
1: Now, over time, have have you had to change your focus and time horizons as you've taken on more senior positions?
0: Absolutely. Uh, It's interesting. Um, My original time horizon uh, was I was going to make it to lieutenant colonel, and that was going to be a successful career. And then I had to pinch myself uh, because the Army decided to make me a a colonel. And so once again, I I thought I was going to retire as a colonel, and the the Army keeps on um, sometimes changing my plans. And so I I absolutely feel honored uh, to serve and to give the best of myself. And I'm thankful uh, that my family has come alongside me in that journey because truly, um, I wouldn't have made my time horizons like I had, had it not been a joint decision. And I'm fortunate, I I have a little bit of a quirky background in the sense that um, I haven't been, I have 27 years active federal service, uh, but, I have 35 years of service, and so I've had time on, you know, the equivalent of active duty. I've had time in the Army Reserve just as a drilling TPU member. I have have had time off of that in our individual mobilization augmentee force. Um, And each time that my time horizon and I've looked at that, uh, it's changed. It's been a family meeting. We've sat down. I mean, my husband uh, used to be in law enforcement and then a, a police officer. And we've had to change based on where we are as a family. I mean, at one point, you know, we we had two kids that were under the age of 10. And so if I'm going to make a transition, um, I was moving to go be the, a professor of military science at the University of Utah. David actually decided for a time to stay home to make sure that we had that, um, that environment that we wanted as a family for our children, for what we wanted next. So it's it's really been this um, beautifully fluid uh, relationship that my husband and I have had along with our kids uh, to look at the time horizon, look at what's next, uh, what's the best decision for the family, and how do we make sure that everyone in the family is supported and, and is able to also pursue their dreams and goals.
1: You know, I've, I've interviewed many women leaders, and um, many times they have said the most important decision they ever made was finding their partner in life. Sounds like that's the case for you.
0: Absolutely. They, and David and I uh, recently celebrated 32 years of marriage, and um, I will I will honestly articulate to the world as well that the first three years were the closest thing to hell I ever want to experience. Um but we were both so committed that uh, we were not quitting and that, that we had made a vow. So we were gonna just, um, we, we were so uh, incredibly stubborn that we were able to continue to work through it. And I think by year seven, not that David and I still don't have friction points, you can ask me about our stocking stuffer argument recently, but we, we uh, have absolutely grown together and are in each other's uh, mutual support. And uh, the commitment of every day, um, having someone else in your life and being all into helping them be better is, is something of magic. It's a real blessing.
1: I'm speaking with Major General Dusty Schultz, Director of Strategic Operations in US Army. Next, we'll be talking about being a leader that is trying to lead through change. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Eileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Eileen Black. And today I'm talking with Major General Dusty Schultz, Director of Strategic Operations, U.S. Army. General Schultz, talk to us about why you have dedicated your entire career to serving in the military. I mean, why public service? What's, what's the important part of that for you?
0: I think, for me, the important part of that is um, so often we like to point fingers at things that are broken, whether it be our government or our world. Um, our our military is a wonderfully large organization, and if we want to affect change, um, we need to be part of great organizations. and how incredible it was for me to think about joining our army, which is based on character and based on supporting and defending our constitution, which is such an incredible ideal that I believed that it was something that I could be, um, leave a legacy that was greater than myself, that was enduring, that could help others be something greater than they thought they could ever be and leave incredible legacies and i've been fortunate because i've i've worked with some of the most talented and brilliant individuals that passionately want to make the world a better place i think it's a decision that we have and can make is what do you want do you want to be a taker or a giver and and i want to be a giver in life and i want to make the world a better place and i want to help leaders make better decisions, I want to help them uh, understand their impact because um, the Army is a place where people are our number one asset and we need to invest in those people. And we do that through thought and action. And so I've, I've really taken it as a, a personal mission to be part of something that that can be noble and good, and export itself also to the rest of the world uh, while also um, here at home uh, helping, helping those uh, really uh, look towards uh, selfless service and, and giving of themselves. I, I believe in, you know, don't ask uh, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I'm, I'm a little old school in that regard. I'm a
1: bit of a neo-traditionalist. You know, there's another quote that I love is culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's a famous quote from legendary management consultant uh, and writer Peter Drucker. Uh, I don't think he meant that strategy was not important, but rather, that you know, rather than a powerful and empowering culture was a sure route to organizational success. So, you know, do you agree with that? It sounds like you really invest in your people and your culture.
0: Absolutely, and, and so I'm also an intelligent strategist. So I believe in strategy. I believe in plans. Uh, but there's this, and, and you you hit the nail on the head, there's this dichotomy between strategy and the plan and how you're looking deep. But the reality is people run that plan, that strategy. And if you don't have the right people and you haven't fostered that healthy culture that allows individuals to thrive. That allows individuals to give the best of themselves and to grow. Um, that then it's it's not going to thrive. The organization that you are a part of will will die. And so, um, in that regard, I, I appreciate uh, Peter Trucker. And actually, I, I not only know that phrase, but definitely want to. Re- Represent it. I, I've also had the good fortune of, you know, recognizing that the moments that I give back um, are are a healthy spot for me. I, I've, you know, maybe I'm being selfish in this regard. Every time that I have a mentoring session, and I probably spend about two hours a day mentoring, um, and and I'm happy to do so because. Um, like I articulated, when I finally realized that there was such a thing called mentors out there and and reached out uh, to one, I've been fortunate that they, they have given so much of themselves to me. And so what I have realized is the more we pour into people, that's how you create the pebble that creates the tidal wave, is because it's people's perspective, their hearts, their attitude. Uh, we can have brilliant minds. But if the heart is not in the right place, that's when we're really challenged.
1: I'm gonna change this a little bit at this point. Um, I, I'd like to talk to you about women leadership. You know, I, okay. I, I know when I was uh, uh, in, in leadership positions, I'd walk into a room and nobody looked like me around the table. Um, I, what, what can we do to help mentor and grow women in leadership positions?
0: That's a great point. Uh, Some of me, um, my, my internal workings and heads, you know, I have, as articulated, I've got about 35 years of service, you know, with a paradigm in my head of having to run hard and outpace all my male counterparts so nobody would ever question how I got to where I was. I'm not sure that's the best model because I will tell you at times we've referred to my husband David he's had to throw down what I call the yellow card he's a soccer player so he has to throw down the yellow card and like hey you're gonna blow out your engine um, so how do we how do we mentor and I think that's by having fierce conversations with our young female leaders um, with articulating expectations and um, and coming alongside them and mentoring them and, and making yourself available for that. Um, I had a, a wonderful moment, it was a ten minute moment two days ago with one of my mentees where she happened to be in the Pentagon and she knocked on the door and I was here and I could just see in her eyes. And So how are we sensitive enough to look at somebody in the eyes and go, mm, something's not right here. And be empathetic enough to shut the door and have a conversation and be an encouragement. Be fierce and challenge because so often as, um, as women and mothers, we have this expectation that we put ourselves in this box and we have to be perfect and we have to do it all. Um, I think it's also important that we teach ourselves and we teach the next generation um, how to have good conversations uh, with their spouses as we've articulated for me, uh, magic for me has been, I, I haven't had to do this alone. David's been alongside with me. You know, it, it exchanges of who makes dinner, who goes and does X, Y, and Z. Um, we have to be strong enough to have those conversations. And they really are fierce conversations because so often we want to skirt around and we don't want to get to the root of the matter. I think um, we help uh, the next generation of women leaders by having those conversations, being direct. Being direct does not mean you're not sensitive. So when you're direct, sometimes it's going it's to hurt. It's going to be a little salty. And so how are we um, aware of that and sensitive to that and in a healthy enough space to where we can take that feedback and not feel like it's going to be used against us?
1: You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Eileen Black, and today we've been talking with Major General Dusty uh, Schultz, is director of strategic operations in the Army. Coming up next, we'll find out Dusty's advice to the next generation of leaders. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aline Black, and today I'm talking with Major General Dusty Schultz, Director of Strategic Operations, U.S. Army. So, you know, you have had such a major, you know, distinguished, long career in the military. Tell us about the favorite role that you have had.
0: The favorite role that I have had. um, I I will tell you that uh, command is always a favorite role. There is a saying in the Army that you're either in command or preparing for command. And then there's another saying that says, your worst day in command is better than your best day on staff. Um, And why is that? Um, Because we have an expectation that our commanders, um, as one might say, ownership, uh, they are in charge of a formation and what happens with that formation is under their authority. They have the ability to, to make orders and to drive a formation to mission accomplishment. And the purpose of the staff is to support those commanders. Uh, so as we look at how we're moving forward as an Army, or as I look at how I'm moving forward as a leader, I have to go, wow you can make the most progress as a commander because you have the authority to move that formation and to really make change.
1: Tell us about your current role as Director of Strategic Operations.
0: Director of Strategic Operations, while well, not command, is so much fun. Uh, you know, I, I do tell the team that it's, uh, yes, it's strategic operations, it has a bit of strategic integration, it has, a bit of strategic innovation. And so as a director of strategic operations, uh, we're the link for the Army when it comes to space, cyber, electronic warfare. We're the link for the Army that when you think of information advantage to achieve decision dominance and how you communicate through mission command systems, um, how we see, think and act that, that all sits within the realm of Dame OSO. We, we equally are in charge of the warfighting mission transformation and operationalizing the Army data plan. And that might sound to your users like a lot of um, technical language and, and really tough things, and it is. I, I akin it to my family as the cartilage in your knee. Without it, you're not gonna run, and it's gonna be painful. So as we transform our Army, and we move at, in this inflection point of key technical capabilities in the Army and our world, Damo is so sits at the center, making sure it's fully integrated and linked to Army strategy and the operations of today. And it's, it's really quite a neat place, And I will tell you, most importantly, because of the people that we're working with. So whether it's working with Army Futures or TRADOC, whether it's working with Army Cyber or Space and Missile Defense Command, the the nexus of these organizations in dealing with um, the acquisition community and really helping us see where we need to go and then bringing it back and making sure it's unified and linked and not siloed, like we kind of think sometimes of the army of World War II, we've transitioned as uh, in our, our business community and that some of our military models have a better integrated way forward. And that's one of the key factors of strategic operations is making sure that we have that full integration.
1: I, I heard the uh, intelligence authors speaking very loudly there, breaking apart the problem. At the end of the day, I always say, if you don't have your data house in order, you really can't build, um, you know, use AI and ML, for an example, to really advance that innovation that you're trying to do throughout the military. Are, are you finding some challenge with, with you know, the old way of, ag- you brought up acquisition? The old ways of acquisition and bringing innovation in to uh, help our warfire?
0: I I think you gonna change always, you know, uh, brings out uh, some resistance, as one might say. Uh, I'm I'm really excited because in the acquisition community, um, Mr. Bush has hired Mr. Youngbang, and the, the acquisition community is really looking at. That transformation, really getting after rethinking the models on which we've put so much and getting the entire community to rethink how we're doing business, particularly for acquisition, but just across our warfighting network.
1: There's been some recent releases that, for me, who've been in the business of, of, of helping support this community for since the mid 80s, where you're asking for external suggestions about how to build in innovation. So certainly I, I'm seeing that effect. Um, are you seeing the change in-house?
0: Absolutely. And, it, and it's, it's thrilling. Um, and it, it starts with our secretary. You know, Secretary Warmoth, uh, she put out priorities. And, you know, she, she recognizes that operationalizing data is absolutely critical to how we move forward. It, it is what we, will enable us to break through this inflection point and come out stronger.
1: Now you've been in the military for three decades and you must be starting to think about what's next. What's next for Dusty?
0: That's a great question. I And I, I would love to say I have a prepackaged uh, clear answer. Um, what, what I recognize is, is that As I move forward, I I have a whole lot of energy still. So uh, I think the Army wants to to continue to have me row a while longer. But as I look forward to whatever is next, um, I want to affect um, strategy. I want to affect people. Um, I have a a knack for being a bit of a a turnaround um, artist in the sense of uh, a lot of times I, I come into organizations that, that need a little bit of restructuring, efficiencies, and, um, and culture reform. And that kind of transformation uh, strategist is some of the things that I have skills at. So um, as I cross the Rubicon into the civilian world eventually, I believe there are options for me. I'm not quite sure what they are, uh, but, but I'll be looking forward to them.
1: Your career and your success have been truly inspirational. Any pearls of wisdom you would leave for the next generation?
0: Pearls of wisdom, Uh, lead by example, be the best you, fail fast, fail often, grow, hunt the good things, and move at the speed of trust. I would also say that transparency, energy, and execution are, are really key to any leader having success.
1: You've been listening to Leaders in Legend and Government. My guest today has been Major General Dusty Schultz, Director of Strategic Operations, U.S. Army. Dusty, I just want to thank you for your service to our nation and sharing your personal journey and some seriously valuable good advice.
0: Oh, thank you, Aileen. It's, I, I appreciate you doing this. This is this is a neat opportunity for, for leaders and others uh, to be able to, to share. And uh, I wish that 30 years ago, I had someone like you that I could
1: listen to and, and take these nuggets and grow from. Well, thank you. I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and
0: Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast
1: One. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band.
0: Next up for lead guitar.
1: You're in.